afternoon when you were talking and saying, whatever I have to do, I want to do it. Amen. You know, in, in a real sense, we're not saved by what we do. We're saved by who He is, who Jesus is, and how we do or don't become part of Him. And He is the Son of God. And when He was born, He was born of the Holy Spirit. The angel said to Joseph, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, he was the Son of God. And he was called the only begotten Son of God in the bosom of the Father. But he wasn't the last begotten Son of God in the bosom of the Father. Amen. He came that he might bring many sons to glory. He was the firstborn among many brethren. So in Romans 8.14, I believe it is, Paul says, As many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So it doesn't just boil down to a moment as in an experience when I spoke in tongues. Yes, that's, that's the birth. That's the evidence and sign that you have received that life-giving Spirit into yourself. But that's not where it ends. You have to be led by the Spirit of God or you're not a son of God. Now the Bible talks about a lot of things that can lead us, doesn't it? James says, when you are tempted, you are led astray by your own desires. Jesus was led like a sheep to the slaughter. We've seen people who are led by various emotions, rage. We've seen people led by various addictions, alcoholism or various drugs and so on and so forth. But the question is, who are you led by? If you're in the lead, then you're just deceiving yourself. You're led by your own desires. But you're a slave. Because those desires, you don't have control over them. Whomever you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey. Whether of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. So the question is, who leads you? Who leads your life? Who leads your thoughts? Who leads your worship? Who leads your words? Who is taking you by the hand and leading you through your life? We're all very familiar with the passage where Jesus uh, rose from the dead and he met with Peter and he said, when you're young, you go where you want to go. There's that illusion of autonomy where you don't realize that it's your own desires that is the master and you're just their slave. But he said, when you were young, you did things your way. But when you are old... You will stretch forth your hand and another will lead you, gird you up and lead you in a way you would not go. A way that is going against your instincts. Do you understand? So you strike me as a pretty easygoing, calm, cool and collected guy. That's a gift. I appreciate that. You are too. You not so much. You are too. I don't know about you. I don't know you yet. He is too, he is too, I don't know about you. He is too, 
We got, I'll stop with Sam. I don't want to get in trouble later. But Rati is, Rati's a pretty calm, cool, and collected person. But I see her completely overcome by the Spirit of God, moving under the anointing, as if the Lord was actually the Spirit in her life. And until that's happening, we can't think as we sit under the dictate and leadership of ourselves, the masters of our own fate, the rulers of our own being, as we sit there in that illusion and then ask God to help us, sorry, that's not going to happen. That's not how this works. The people I see in the Bible are willing to rise up out of the place where they are staying in Samaria and hear the Holy Spirit say to Philip, Arise and go out on the road to Gaza. He doesn't say to meet anybody. He doesn't say on the road that leads to Gaza. He doesn't say to go to Gaza. He says just go on the road that heads toward Gaza. How much second guessing was going on in Philip's mind? I don't think there could have been much or he would have stayed put where he was. There is a responsiveness there is a willingness to rise up and go. Remember the, the voice of, of the Lord to Mary, Go tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. I will see them there. Here's the voice of a dead man speaking through a crazy woman, saying, I'm supposed to go somewhere. Peter and John, do you think we should really do this? I don't know, but I'm not going to sit around and find out. Amen. I want to go. You are not a son of God unless you are led by the Spirit of God. Peter says, no scripture is of private interpretation. Because when it was written, the holy men of old were carried along by the Holy Spirit, however they were led. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. Because when you were pagans, you were what? led astray by mute idols, however you were led. So there are idols that can lead us. There are addictions that can lead us. Our own instincts and desires can lead us. Other people can lead us. That's what you see in pop culture. You see idols, people with alter egos that don't really comport with their actual life, but they put themselves forward as a certain person, a certain role model, and thousands, sometimes millions, will follow. Isn't it interesting that in the age of social media, the term following has come back to currency? I'm following this person. The followers of Jesus were called followers before they were called anything else. But at least in that statement of social media, we're acknowledging that we are the sheep of shepherds. We are following after somebody. Is it God? Is it the Spirit? Is it the anointing? Or is it something else? And see, we would like to say in our thinking, we would like to say, well, certain kind of people, they're led by the Spirit, but other kinds not so much. Well, I admit that you may have a bigger battle with the flesh than some. 
but only in one area. They've got it bigger in another. <laughs> Everybody here has got to become a follower of the Spirit. You have got to be led by the Spirit. Could the Lord just prompt you right now to say, get up and go walk down Halbert Lane? And would you just get up and go do it? I mean, I'm afraid that even if a, if a person told you that, you wouldn't do it. How much less the intangible, inaudible, invisible prompting of God. Now, until you realize that you cannot be led until you increase your sensitivity, you're not going to, uh, you're not going to pursue the kind of humility and groping that would even give this kind of lead from God a chance. <laughs> it says in Acts 17, it says, He is made from one nation, He is made from one man, every nation, for to dwell on the earth, and has appointed the bounds of their habitation and the exact places of their dwelling, that men might seek after Him and grope for Him, though He be not far from any one of us. God chose that we would sit in this circle tonight. And He chose that you would be living in Waco instead of Connecticut this year. So that you would learn to seek and grope. In the chance that you could connect with Him. But He's not far from any one of us. He's only as far as the barrier of pride that separates us from Him. That barrier that can be broken and torn down through humility and contrition. Who does it say the Lord is near to? He is near to the brokenhearted and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Amen? So if there's a distance, then there's a lack of contrition. There's a lack of brokenness. There's too much pride. There's too much complacency. Paul told us he's not far from any one of us. That includes the proud. Not far. What did Jesus tell the man, the lawyer, in Mark 12, 26, I believe it is, one of the rulers of the people, a lawyer, came to him and said, what must I do to, to enter, or what is the greatest commandment? That's what he asked. And Jesus said, here is the greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one Lord. You shall love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the man said, You have said wisely, for in this command all is summed up. And Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Paul would later said, He is not far from any one of us. What a promise! That what you want from God is not far from you. It's right there. That's why Jesus started His ministry by saying, The kingdom of God is at hand. He did not say the kingdom of God is in hand. He said it's at hand. It's something right in front of your fingertips. It's not in your palm, but it's at your hand. He said repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right there. It's right there. You could get it. You could get that victory. You could get that change. You could make that, that metamorphosis that God is calling you. It's right there. Right there. It's at hand. He's not far. Amen. Are you tracking with what I'm saying? Does your heart feel a little glimmer of hope that God is closer to you than you would want to think? So if He's not far and He is near to the brokenhearted, 
then you can get a hold of him. The Lord makes a promise. He says, in the day that you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. It's like a child looking for mom and dad, and dad is standing there all the while. But with a child, the dad can just raise his voice. Because we can hear daddy through our natural ears. But with God, he can't just raise his voice. Because we can only hear him through the portal of sensitive, broken contrition. Do you understand? So we have to humble ourselves. We have to get to a place, oh God, where we cry out. And he says to us, in the day you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. If, if you just would give that last little portion of your heart that you hold in reserve, that last little section that is dedicated to doubt, that last little wedge that is devoted to questions, to your image, to what your peers think. If you could seek Him with all of it, all of it, you would find God. He says, I would be found by you. And when He is found, when you feel His presence, God's presence is never a static thing. It does not come to us to merely surround us and give us a feeling. It comes to us to evoke movement on our part. So he walks by the booth of the tax collector and says, follow me. And he walks by the people mending their nets and says, follow me. He's in motion. He's moving. Do you see it? He's not coming and he's moving somewhere. He's not moving towards you. He's moving past you. Because you're not the center of God's universe. The center of His purpose is to bring glory to the sacrifice he, he gave to us at Calvary. It's bigger than any one individual one of us. We're not all God has on His mind or heart. But we can sure become part of His purpose. We can sure be included in His plan. That's why He says, follow me and I will make you feel better. I will make you rich. No, I will help you help others. Amen. I will make you a fisher of men. Not to bring into the net of your accolades, but to bring them into the net of the kingdom of God, which he said the fisherman's net was like. Amen. Amen. This is bigger than us. Amen. Did you start the meeting off by saying it's not about us? What a revelation. You know, there's another way of saying that. We're not God. That's the alternate translation to what he said. It's not about us. We're not God. Because whoever it's about, that is God in your life. Whatever you center around, whatever is the circumference of your concerns, your pursuits, your energy, your prayers, your thoughts, your feelings, your images, whatever is the circumference of all of your doings, that for you is God. And if that is self, then you worship at the idol of self. You're an idolater because you love yourself and have put yourself in the place of God. All your needs, all your wants, all your desires, they are your Lord and Savior. How are they working for you? 
But if you'd come into his presence and then say, God, I need to become a kind of person who can be led. How many of you ever tried to lead a donkey? Well, hallelujah. You know what it's like for God to try to lead us. Nat, do you remember when we were teaching Dilly how to lead? Dilly, and I don't know how she got that name, was this wretched donkey who grew too big for her britches. And when we finally decided to teach her to lead, she was not compliant. And if she was choosing the path, she didn't mind the halter or the lead rope. But if you were choosing the path, she would dig in her heels. And she would dig them in deep. And so... I realized that the dilemma we were facing is that she knew she was stronger than I was. So we got a very long lead rope and I hooked the other end up to the ATV. And I had Nat driving the ATV and I very gently said, giddy up, Dilly, <laughs> as all the other times. Only this time, I gave him a nod and we began to pull. <laughs> Dilly sunk her feet in and dug her back heels in so deep that her tail was swooshing the ground. Can you picture this? I mean, she was in a virtual sit. And she dug furrows across that entire field. We, we were afraid we would wear her hooves off on the, on the, on the uh, road. So we put her in a field and she dug furrows. It looked like a strange new plow had come into that field. <laughs> So obstinate, so unwilling to yield, was she? Do you remember this? Yes. And you had other donkeys. He didn't learn from that one. So he and John trained other donkeys who had better names than their characters warranted. But anyway, trying to get them across the low water crossing, trying to do almost anything with them, but especially old stubborn Dilly who had learned that she was stronger and she could do things her way. You know, that's how we are with the Spirit. We think that it's our task to resist and to oppose when something isn't going our way because who else is going to look out for us besides us? And when we get our way, God unsnaps the lead rope and says, great. Go back to your mud pen of uselessness, but don't complain to me when you have no purpose or power or momentum of victory in your life. We can convince God. He says, don't be like the horse and the mule who require a bridle and a whip. Don't be like a fool. You can get through the meeting. All the dillies in this group can get through every meeting and convince God that you're unleadable. You can survive the move of God because the Spirit is a gentle thing. It's not a forceful thing. It's not an overpowering thing. It's a gentle thing. It's not a lead rope with an ATV on the other end. It's a still, small voice with a promise on the other end. And, and that's what's so scary to me. It is so easy, so easy 
to quench the Spirit. I, I spoke from 1 Thessalonians 5.19 recently. Quench not the Spirit. Don't extinguish it. Don't snuff it out. And I told you that that was the same word where Paul says, hold up the shield of faith by which you will be able to extinguish all the fiery darts of the devil. But Paul, in using the same word about the Spirit, is suggesting you can snuff it out. You can put it out. It whispers in your heart to do something. Just ignore it and it will go out. If I build a fire here, what do I need after I build my little fire and I use three pieces of split lumber after the kindling has lit on and, and so on and so forth? How long will that fire last? He says, not long. Brother Zane says, as long as there is fuel. If I put three pieces of lumber on it, I don't know, give it two and a half hours and there will be embers. All I have to do to quench it is nothing. Do you understand that? All you have to do to quench the leading of the Spirit in your life is nothing. That's why he says to Timothy, fan to flame the gift that lies within you. How does one fan to flame? Have you ever had to get embers to burst back into flame? How do you do it? You get down on your hands and knees, you look like a fool. <laughs> Somebody had never seen anybody start a fire and they saw this big guy bending down. <gasps> they think you lost your mind. They might even if they had seen you start fires. But you get my point? That's what Paul's saying Timothy needed to do. Timothy was an apostle. Timothy was an apostle, a miracle worker in charge of churches. Amen. But Paul said, Timothy, what once was bursting into flames has grown, has reduced to be nothing more than embers. Get down and blow on it. Fan it to flame. The gift that lies within you by the laying on of my hands. Now, Jacob, if, if Timothy had to get down and blow the embers of an apostle's gift. What do you have to do to keep the Spirit alive in your life? Maybe this is the answer you're asking for. You've got to become more sensitive and responsive to the Spirit. You need to give more room to the Spirit. And it starts with praise and worship, but it doesn't end there. You're not going to get the victory you want except this way. As many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Amen. I didn't have a single thought of this on my mind. My wife knows. Others know what was on my mind. This wasn't it. Have I consulted a note? Have I ever shared this in its exact iteration as I'm sharing right now? No. But God loves you. And He moves on me. And I don't have permission to neglect His lead. I have to move with that lead. And sure, there's something in me that says, I don't know if I should start that. What if I don't have the full thing? Uh, I don't want to cut somebody else off. I asked Brother Nat, am I going to cut you off if I share something? I'm wanting to be sensitive because I don't want to do my thing. I want to hear your voice. I want to hear what God is speaking. I want to receive the song because we're all so dependent here. Amen? But more than anything, we need to feel the leading of the Spirit, and then get up and walk in that wherever it takes us. And until you come to that level of suppleness, 
you're not a son of God. You're just not a son of God. Amen. And that is not reserved to those called to the fivefold ministry. That is a promise available to every single person born into the kingdom of God. He states it unequivocally. He is not far from any one of us. He's right there. Amen. And he states it through Isaiah. He is near to the brokenhearted. You can get there. You can get into that realm. You can get into that space. And you're afraid. You say, if I do, I'm going to look like a fool. Or I'm going to be this. Or I'm going to be that. Or, well, that's why he says you've got to do it with all your heart. That's just a tiny little wedge of the pie that you're reserving to yourself. Isaiah, don't doubt whether you can feel God. Because you can. Amen. You've got to fan those flames. You've got to blow on those embers. You've got to grope for Him and feel after Him. But you can find Him because He's not far from you. You're one of us. And He said He's not far from any one of us. Don't, come in, don't, don't go to the prayer room and, and you know, talk at God. God, blah, 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 blah. You go and say, God, I want to feel something. And you promised in your word that if I humble myself, if I have a broken spirit and a contrite heart, you'll be near to me. You promised that I could enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. God, I think I've already done it, but I'm not feeling anything, so I must not have done it the way I'm supposed to. And you go with faith. Those who come to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Without faith, he already said it's impossible to please Him. So if you want to prove the impossibility of your circumstance, just don't take faith with you, and you'll prove it every time. The apostle admits it. It is impossible. So then it becomes, then, then comes the question, who's responsible to get faith? Amen. You. That's why Paul also said to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Faith does not take you by a storm. Amen. It is a fight. It is a struggle. I want you to walk away from this meeting tonight convinced that He is not far from you and that you can learn to follow His leading on a level you've never learned before. Amen. Amen. I got I to gotta break off following all other idols. Thank you, Jesus. I got to take self out of the center and know it's not about me. I got to humble myself. I got to make a complete sacrifice. I've got to come convinced that He is and that He's a rewarder. And i got to seek Him diligently. Amen. i got to run after God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Believing as surely as, as Naaman had to believe that a cleansing awaited the, that dipping regiment. Amen. In the same way, I believe, amen, that an answer is on the other side of this sacrifice that I'm going to make. Amen. Amen. Have you ever been led by someone in your life? Has something ever got a hold of you that was so powerful you felt like it was leading you? Well, you've got to humble yourself and make your spirit so available that God's presence becomes that way to your new man. So powerful. It's a dynamic beyond your control. Amen. It's not second-guessing Him every step of the way, is it now? Well, Lord, I don't know about this. That's what, that was what happened in the wilderness. Their, their bodies fell in the wilderness because they were not 
united in faith with those who heard and heeded the message. Thank you, Jesus. And there are always going to be those who will give you an excuse. Those lies in your head and those people around you, there are, there are always going to be those who will give you just a little gap of disobedience. Here's a bubble of understanding where you can escape obedience to God. Sadly, you'll find it even in the church. A little comment, a little word that says you don't have to get a hold of anything. You don't have to overcome that. You don't have to get the victory here. Here's a little gap you can fit right here. Amen. But a true friend isn't going to do that to you. They're going to say, no, we can settle for nothing short of the leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God, speak your word and we'll be in action, God. Hallelujah. We want to follow Jesus. We want to follow with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, holding nothing back, nothing in reserve. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 My dad tells a story of the first year he came to God, if I, if I have it correctly. The first year he came to God, he was preaching a revival in Longview, Texas. And 86 people received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in that one revival. But there was at one point where he went to his hotel room and he was exhausted. It was between meetings. He had just finished one meeting and he was going to have another that evening. And he stretched out on the bed and the Lord brought to his mind a picture of a couple who had come to the altar. And he knew in a flash that they were in grave danger of losing whatever ground they had gained. And he knew God was telling him to go speak to them. But he was exhausted. And he just did nothing for a second. And the Lord said, are you ready to finish your course? Are you ready to meet me? And, the Lord, and he said to the Lord, Lord, no, I've, I've barely begun. Amen. And the Lord said, well, then what are you going to do with this prompting? My paraphrase, but this feeling that I'm giving you. And he got up and went and dealt with it. Now, I want to ask you, does God do that in your life? Some of you would not be living for God if people had not done that for you. Now, maybe you want to be the center of everybody's universe and want everybody to do things like that for you. But you know you can think of times when God did that through people for you and because of those times, you're living for God tonight. Amen. But would you do that? Do you believe it can happen? Amen. Has God ever woken you up in the middle of the night and put a burden on your heart for somebody? I know there are many in this room who can say yes. Some of you would be included in the burdens they've had. You see, God is not centered on you. But He does love the people He died to save. He's centered on them. And if you want to be a follower of Him, you're going to have to follow His burden for others outside of yourself into the call and burden of love. But you live in your ruts. You live in the little maze that you have created. The routines where you think you're in control. You need to come to a meeting terrified of what God may do for you. Or prompt you to do for others. Do you understand? Amen. If you can predict everything that's going to happen, He's not Lord. Because trust me, He's totally unpredictable. Amen. How many of you would say that you constitutionally carry and discharge a burden of love 
for a needy brother or sister. Raise your hand if you can honestly say before God, I constitutionally carry and discharge a burden of love for a needy brother or sister. Well, I'll tell you, to the extent that you do, you're part of the kingdom. Let that grow and expand. Let that increase. Let His anointing of love come upon it. But to the rest of you, I say, don't ask God what's wrong. I just told you what's wrong. You're self-centered. You are centered on yourself. This does not work. Amen. 90% of anointing is the responsibility of love. Did you hear me? 90% of anointing is simply the responsibility of love. I'll illustrate it like this. If Hannah is carrying a box of house goods from, her, from, from Esther's house across the street to her house and she drops an old clock in the roadway and she makes it to the front door of her house and she hears a UPS Mack truck barreling down the road. She may set down the box and she may say, oh, wait, wait, wait. But then she shrugs and says, that stupid old clock. That is an effort, but that is not anointed. Now let's imagine Hannah walks across with the box and her two-year-old toddles with her. But the two-year-old trips and skins her knee and is low down in the road when the Mack truck starts barreling toward her. Hannah will run over broken glass. She'll fall flat on her face. She'll do whatever it takes. She'll get that child out of the roadway. That's anointing. The first one was an effort. The second one was anointing. When you love somebody and you answer and yield to the responsibility that love entails, the decision has already made the decision has already been made to surrender control of your life you're going to do what it takes you're going to say what needs to be said however it must be said to meet that need the people lowering the man in front of Jesus that's anointing the Syrophoenician begging for the healing of her demon possessed daughter that was anointing the people who said Give us a sign. That was not an anointing. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. But what is the anointing? It is just the presence of the Holy Spirit enabling our efforts to love. I don't feel the Lord carrying me any further. But what is He speaking to you?